Kyrie Eleison, Christ have mercy. Christ have mercy. There are all times in our life for every single one of us that we have to have mercy on one another. Can you say amen? There's times where we need mercy, and then there are times when we have to give mercy. And in between the services, I had a thought a while ago. The joy that you're about to see in a group of children as they tell you the story of Christmas, that would have never came about if there hadn't been that distinct and unique quality of Joseph to be willing to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness. And again, I'll emphasize, he had nothing to forgive, but he didn't know that yet. How real is Christmas to you this year? How real is Jesus to you this year? I mean, where does Jesus fit into your Christmas plans and your Christmas thinking? Do you live and are you preparing for Christmas just like Jesus is God? Are you preparing for Christmas with Jesus at the center of your Christmas preparations? In December 2005, the little devotional that we give away here at the church, our daily bread, and there's some there at the coffee shop, they had this great little story in there. In December of 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their flying machine off the ground and thrilled. They telegraphed this message to their sister, Catherine. Now remember, this is the days where you paid by the letter. We have actually flown 120 feet. We'll be home for Christmas. So Catherine, with a lot of excitement, rushed down to the editor of their local newspaper. She showed him the telegram, and this is what the editor said. Well, how nice. The boys are going to be home for Christmas. He missed the biggest news of the century. That for the very first time, Mankind had flown. And sometimes I think it's real easy and getting ready for our family gatherings, getting ready for our festive meals, picking out or selecting the right gift, or if you choose the easy way out, the right gift card. We miss what the whole central message of Christmas is all about. It's about Jesus Christ. And so I want you this morning to take a look at a picture Upon the screen, if you go ahead and put that up, maybe you can pull the lights down so we can see it a little bit better. Don't they look real serene? Don't they just look peaceful? You've probably sent this very same picture on a Christmas card before. You've probably shared one similar to this. Show us Joseph there, if you would. Look at Joseph. Look at an incredible smile. Can't you hear him saying? There, that's the best baby I've ever seen. I said it. I mean, just look at that smile on his face. Look how peaceful he looks. And you've got to ask yourself, how did he get there? How did he get to this place where you and I see him with his hands resting upon the head of the cow and he's looking down at the Christ child? Because that's not quite how the story started. I look at that picture and and I'm telling you, if you read my letter I wrote 
30 years ago, over 30 years ago, this became very, very real to me. It was a process of becoming a dad. Thinking about Joseph. Thinking about, God, how did you choose Joseph? How did you choose this couple? I mean, look at them. She was a peasant girl. She was probably much younger than this picture portrays her to be. But how did you choose this couple? I mean, was there some kind of heavenly lottery? Was there some kind of, of, you know, little machine popping up ping pong balls that at the end of the day spelled J-O-E? I mean, how did God choose Joseph? I, I mean, I know theologically God was preparing and God had ordained Joseph, but what kind of man does God pick out? What kind of man, what kind of woman does God choose to manifest himself so powerfully and so profoundly? I want when you hold those elements in your hand, I want when you pull that cup to your lips and you taste the sweetness, I want you to experience Jesus. I want when you get here to church and you sing the songs, I want more than anything else, I want Jesus for you. As I look again, I ask myself, why Joseph? And how did God pick him? I want you, if you would, to stand with me this morning, and I want to take you to Matthew chapter 1. I kind of like to look at this this morning, and ladies, you can listen in. I think there's lessons for all of us here, but I really want to talk to the men of our church this morning at Woodland. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. Say that with me. A righteous man. Say it again. A righteous man. I know that it's kind of passed off the scene now, but I loved promise keepers. I mean, none of us... None of us will ever live up to who Jesus was. But I love that concept of a righteous man is a promise keeper. Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. He didn't believe her. He had nothing to forgive her of, but he didn't know that yet. He had nothing to have mercy on her for, but he did not know that yet. Joseph was a righteous man. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, she's not lying. I mean, that kind of hits it right on the nail, what that little boy said in that video. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. Read this last part with me. For he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, I thank you this morning that for all of us, 
your righteousness has become our righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the scriptures tell us. And so I pray now that when this service is over that we'll understand a little bit more about living in the light and that your righteousness will radiate through us to our community and to one another. For it's in the precious and the holy name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. Warm up your pencil or your pen and get ready with me and just take some notes. I hope you'll forgive me, but as a young man, I kind of thought Joseph was probably a little slow. I thought Joseph was probably a little bit of a a man that was kind of like a lot of good men that I've met over the years. They're good men, but they're not the sharpest tool in the tool bag. They're sometimes like a happy meal that's short of the french fries. They're just not all there together. And you can be forgiven if you've ever thought that way, that maybe Joseph really wasn't that sharp a guy. As a matter of fact, when you read in some of the magazines and the news magazines and National Geographic and you read how there are so many people who try to undermine the story of the virgin birth and try to undermine the credibility of the Word of God, which, by the way, they're never successful at, you kind of get the idea that sometimes that Joseph was just a little bit of a slow man. I mean... What kind of guy lets his reputation be damaged like that? I have married a lot of couples over the years, which means that from time to time, I've had to deal with jilted fiancés. And you have never seen the anger of a young man who feels jilted and wants to get revenge, and all of a sudden, the woman that he wanted to love and he thought was so good and pure and great and great Suddenly, he begins to talk trash about her and about her family, and he wants to get vengeance. Not long ago, it's been this year, I had a young man that um, her fiance decided she no longer wanted to be married. She wanted to get married, and in the course of our counseling, she broke off the engagement, and all of a sudden, this young man's heart was revealed for what it was, and he was angry. He was vindictive towards her and her family, and... And even though we talked and we prayed together, he even lost his faith in God and just turned his back on God and recently called me and said, I am so sorry for the way I behaved. Please forgive me. And I said, I've forgiven you a long time ago. I, I understand. I, although I've never been jilted, I, I can only begin to imagine what must have been going through your heart and mind. And we've been in a process of talking and praying together. Mary says to Joseph that she's still this pure and this innocent girl as she's talking to him about what has happened, that she's kept her vows to him. But when you read that Joseph was a righteous man, you need to understand it's not just his reputation he was concerned about. Joseph was concerned about offending God because of a righteous man wanted to live righteous and do the righteous thing and marry a righteous woman and he didn't want to be guilty of offending God or doing something wrong. But Joseph would have also been afraid of what his community thought. Have you ever lived and grown up in a small town? Now, I'm not talking about down river where you go from small town to small town to small town, but I'm talking about a small town where you live in that town of a few thousand people and maybe you got to drive 25, 30, 50 miles to the next small town. 
If you've ever lived in a town like that, then you know what I know, that everybody knows your name, everybody knows your business, everybody at the other church knows all about what's going on in your church, and everybody at the grocery store knows. doesn't matter where you go. People at the service station, they know what's going on in your life because small towns not only practice grace, small towns practice gossip as well. Okay, so it's just kind of the thing. I, I love small towns and I love living in them. I, I love the people that I've met and served there. But those two things are very real, grace and gossip. But Joseph would also have been afraid because his pride. Because of the fact that this young man who had cultivated carefully this relationship of purity with Mary suddenly hears this unbelievable story that she's pregnant, but she's not been unfaithful to Joseph. So I come back, and if you can, I don't know if you can or not, but put the picture back up of the nativity scene of of Joseph. Look again at that face, and look again at him, and ask yourself, how did God choose this man to become the father to the son of God? What was it about him? I'm going to offer several things that I think. I think number one is that Joseph not only was a good man, but Joseph was a hardworking man. He had, earned a, he had learned a career. He had learned how to take care of his family. He was a, a carpenter, as you know this morning. Jesus was referred to as the son of a carpenter, and evidently the work that Joseph did was such good work that God saw that Joseph would be able to take care of. God saw that Joseph would be able to provide for. God saw that Joseph had a good reputation in the community, and a reputation is not something you're given. A reputation is something you earn. A reputation is something that it takes a lifetime to achieve, but you can undo a reputation in just a minute, can't you? Some of us have had those experiences in life where we've worked hard at building a reputation and then something happens and immediately our reputation could be destroyed. The Bible tells us that God puts this high, high value upon diligent and conscientious and good work where people apply themselves to their work. My favorite book of the Bible is the book of Proverbs, and as I read through Proverbs over and over, I'm reminded of how God blesses and God prospers the hand of the diligence and the, and the way that God not only blesses that, but God is pleased by that. Paul says that whatever we work at, whatever we're doing, whatever job we find ourselves doing, whether it's a plumber or whether it's a working in a car factory or whether it's being a pastor or whatever your job is, that you're to work at it diligently with all your mind not seeking to please people, but seeking to please God. And I mean, when you look at that passage, and by the way, it's found in the book of Colossians, you find out that God says, whatever you do, if you will do it right, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. In other words, God will reward you for that. Paul goes on to say that if you don't work, if a man doesn't work, that man shouldn't be able to eat. Now, that sounds awfully harsh in a society that's very focused upon a safety net. But what Paul is not talking about there is those periods that economies go through where people can't find work and where people can't work because of the economy. But he's talking about the stubborn, the rebellious, the lazy. The Bible, the book of Proverbs calls them the sloth. And the Bible says the sloth is kin to a thief. 
Over the years, there have been times where I've had to confront men over their slothful behavior for not taking care of their families. Quite a few years ago now, I had to confront a man in our church for not taking care of his family and not providing for, not working for, and having this loud faith. And when I did, he got all offended. And I said, listen, here's what the Bible says and here's what you have to do. You see, a sloth has a rebellious heart. And he may sing the songs, The sloth may come to church and the sloth may even want to look right, but the Bible says that the sloth is akin to the thief. There is a rebelliousness about that person that says, I don't care what you do, I'm not going to work. Joseph was not that kind of a man. Joseph was the kind of man that learned how to work and apply himself, and he gained the respect of his peers. And when you work hard, you develop competencies. When you work hard, your your mind stays active and your mind stays sharp. When you work hard and you work in the public, you, you develop networks. And now we know that not only keeping your mind sharp and developing networks, they also have a tendency to, to, to raise the value, not, not raise the value, but to raise the quality of your life, to raise the quality of your life, but they also have the potential to extend the longevity of your life because your mind and your network stays there. And so you see, I see such a quality in Joseph, the son of the, car- the carpenter, that Jesus would be called the son of the carpenter, but I see something else in Joseph. Put the picture back up one more time, please. I see something else in Joseph. Joseph was a pure man. Joseph was a man who knew how to honor his commitments. The Bible tells us in Matthew 1.18 that Joseph was engaged or pledged. I love the King James word, betrothed. Say that word with me, betrothed. Say it again, betrothed. It's a romantic word. It's a romantic word because we pull it from the scriptures because it's, it's as legally binding as a marriage. It says we're married, we're, we're committed to each other, but we're going to remain sexually pure until such time as we actually come together in marriage. That's a huge commitment for a young man to make. I can remember telling my daddy one time when I was dating, I said, Dad, I'll date a girl for a while and then I no longer find her interesting. How do you fall in love and stay in love? And my daddy's advice was always the same, son, you'll know, son, you'll know. I remember coming home one time and saying, daddy, you know, I am in the midst of, we called it Southeastern Bridal College, you know, the Bible college I went to. I am in the midst of some of the most godly young women I know, but Dad, I haven't found anybody that I feel like I could get married to or that, that I love. And then one day I go to First Assembly of God in Dallas, Georgia, and the little girl that I loved as a, as a little boy and the little girl that I had dreamed about, I walk out of her daddy's study to preach the gospel that night as a young single preacher and there she was sitting on the piano her head kind of cocked I can still see her she had on an emerald green dress and she was playing the piano and suddenly I knew daddy was right I knew that I knew that I knew I was in love and we spend the next year dating, but we made this commitment to one another. And I remember telling Becky, I am prepared to, to give my whole life to you, to devote my attention to you, to be solely, exclusively yours. And she told me, she says, you better, if not, I'll kill you and tell God you died naturally. <laughs> I believed her. <laughs> you see, what I take away from this is that my personal righteousness matters to God. 
but my personal righteousness matters to everyone that I do life with. Now, when I talk about righteousness, I'm not talking about that self-righteousness that sometimes people are real easy to develop because no one wants to be around a self-righteous person. And most self-righteous people are just ungodly people trying to look righteous. When it came time to settle into a relationship, Joseph entered into the hard work of talking and dreaming with Mary, talking about what marriage meant, of opening himself up, of doing that process of self-disclosure. If you've been through premarital counseling with me, one of the things we talk about is how do you do self-disclosure? How do you open your heart and your life and your mind up to someone? We have those talks about intimacy and exclusivity. We have those talks about what does spirituality really mean? What does it mean to live for the glory of God? And we talk about what it means for better or for worse in sickness and in health. We talk about what that mutual commitment means means for a lifetime. We talk about what could break that commitment because what I'm trying to help them do, please listen, don't don't miss this. What I'm trying to help couples do is what I think Mary and Joseph did here is move from that casual phase to the commitment phase. Do you know what I'm talking about? Say that phrase with me. Casual phase to commitment phase. Say it again. Casual phase to the commitment phase. It's What I look for in all of the young couples that I work with is how do we move from this casual, boy, I really like you, I even have strong feelings for you, but how do we move to this commitment phase? And I gotta tell you, ladies, please hear this. For you, I think that's easier. For guys, that is just downright hard and scary. Talk to me about anything but feelings. Remember those old songs, if you grew up, if you were a baby boomer, you remember feelings. Remember those old songs? And I go, yuck. I, mm, Jesus, I almost said something I shouldn't have said. Mm. You may love the Hallmark Channel Christmas movies. Becky and Amy lap that stuff up like it's syrup and biscuits. I sat down and tried to do a fan, and I'm like, I can't do this, I'm gonna vomit. <laughs> and they laugh at me because it's, it's ooey gooey yucky. I went upstairs and took a shower and got a good book to read. You see, it's hard for us guys to enter in and have those kind of conversations, but Joseph had that conversation, and it was before the marriage took place. The Bible is real clear. Before the marriage took place, the Bible tells us in Psalms 1-6 that God watches over the path of the godly. Say that with, read that with me. The Lord watches over the path of the godly. Say it again. The Lord watches over the path of the godly. One more time. The Lord watches over the path of the godly. So young folk, as you walk godly, as you seek to please the Lord, God will watch over your path. God will protect you. God will lead you in ways of righteousness because this young man whose world was turned upside down when he walked this young girl to the door one night and she says to him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. It took a lot of work to get to where that smile is upon Joseph's face. You see, you and I know, I mean, we absolutely know it's rare today in our society for people to make a biblical commitment to sexuality. 
It's rare in our society. As a matter of fact, there are entire shows that I've never watched, but I read about them in the paper, and sometimes some of you will tell me about couples who go through this whole fish pond of people they're going to marry, and they, you know, it, it's all done on TV, and there's so much sexuality going on between couples, and today people join bodies together before they learn how to join a heart and a mind together, and friends, if you don't know how to join your heart and mind together, You'll never keep a marriage together, and you don't learn how to join a heart and mind together by joining your body together. Sex is much more, the Bible says, than skin on skin. Joseph made a commitment to biblical sexuality. Now, can I tell you, you need to know at that time, this was a dark time in Israel's history. There weren't a lot of young men who made the kind of commitment that Joseph made. There was a lot of promiscuity going on in that day. So don't think when you read the Bible, that was just the days of the Bible. It was a dark time at the time of Israel's history and the Roman influence and the Greek influence. It was a lot of paganism. Remember, the priests, when they found out from the wise men that a king had been born, they didn't even care enough to go find the one that they sought to worship every day. They just simply went and told Herod, and went about their everyday business. If you don't bother me, I won't bother you, so to speak. But Joseph was not that kind of man. Time Magazine, a couple of years ago in 2015, they had a story in there that said, is monogamy over? And they offered all kinds of opinions in this Time Magazine article. If you read Time, you will remember this. They said monogamy is a charade, that monogamy institutionalizes dishonesty, that monogamy is an option, not a default. As I read that magazine article, I found my blood boiling because here was one more time where a once well-respected magazine is trying to attack the very foundations of what makes a nation great. Friends, listen to me. There is not a society, look at me in the eye, don't miss this. There is not a society on the earth that exists where women and children are cared for and loved and provided for, where polygamy exists or sexual immorality exists. The safest place for women and children is a place where a marriage between one man and one woman is honored and nurtured. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? It was what Joseph wanted. It may be rare. It may be that monogamy is endangered. But there's a lot of us here this morning that will tell you that marriage and monogamy is far from dead. It's the most powerful human relationship that you can have. And it's what Jesus says reflects Christ in his church. Oh, I remember those days looking at my bride. I remember those days looking at Becky. It's why I can feel such pain because I was so proud of the woman I married and I remain so and have always been honored because of her virtue and her life, the way she's chosen to honor God. But then suddenly Joseph was confronted with the truth that seems to fly in the face of all the goodness because, let me just be honest with you, Mary broke his heart. When he walked her to the door that night and she says, I'm pregnant, he didn't believe her. His heart was broken, his heart was shattered because everything that he had thought of this girl 
just didn't seem to be true. You say, Pastor, you're reading between the lines. Oh, read your Old Testament. Everything I'm telling you comes from the practice. And those of you who've been through premarital counseling, I've showed you in the Bible where all these kind of conversations were taking place. And, and I've got to think, now listen, your personal righteousness matters. I've got to think that Joseph was a pretty normal guy like you and me. I've seen what jilted fiancés do. I've seen what spurned lovers do. I've seen what betrayed husbands and wives do. I've walked through some of the nastiest, thickest garbage you will ever imagine in your life. Too often. And there had to be that part of Joseph that says, I'll show her. I'll show her family. I'll drag her name through the mud. I'll be sure the entire community knows. I'm sure he knew every cad in the community. I'm sure he knew every promiscuous boy in the community. And there was a part of him that wanted to go beat the snot out of that person if he could find out who he was. You see, Pastor, you say that with a lot of feeling. Listen, I've been betrayed. I know what it means to sit behind the wheel of a car thinking what I'm going to do. I could write some of the best movie scripts though when I'm angry. Have you ever sat behind the wheel of a car and you've imagined what you would do when you're angry and you, you want to get right? All those thoughts suddenly. And remember, you live in a small town where everybody knows your name and everybody knows your business. But somehow or another, Joseph found a place before God. Somehow or another, Joseph found what you and I have to find. We have to stop and get on our knees in the presence of God. Joseph was a righteous man. And though God didn't answer his prayer right away, though God didn't show him right away, Joseph got before the Lord and he prayed and he decided not to give in to his anger, not to give in to his vindictiveness, not to give in to his vengeance, not to give in to his right to get even, not to give in to the biblical right to have her stoned for having betrayed him. But Joseph decided to put her away privately. He did not, verse 19, want to expose her to public disgrace. When I read that, I think, Joe, what a class act you are. I see, I've met those class acts over the years. I've met those who've chosen to give grace just like they've received grace. I've met those that's chosen to forgive just like they've been forgiven. I've met those class act men who somehow or another rise above that fallen natures of ours that want to get even, that want to hurt, that want to retaliate, that want to pay back evil with more evil, but instead they love and they forgive even to their enemies. And then suddenly God appears to him in the midst of all this betrayal and in all the midst of this shot, the angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him, Joseph, you don't have to be afraid. Beloved, hear me this morning. My commitment to walk personally righteous with God puts me in a place of blessing. Your commitment to walk in a place of righteousness, personal righteousness with God, puts you in a place of blessing. My commitment to personal righteousness makes me like a magnet for the blessing of God upon my life. You see, it's that commitment not to doing things my way, not to getting my justice, not to getting my vengeance. It's that commitment that puts me in that place where the Lord will pour out his spirit upon me. 
Matthew 1, 20 and 21 says, an angel appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, she's not lying. I love the way that baby said it. She's not lying. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to look carefully and think with me for just a moment. What God is telling Joseph violates two basic masculine instincts. The first is don't break off the engagement. Don't do it. She's not lying. Marry her. And then he tells her, he says, I want you, tells him, he says, I want you to name this baby. Now listen, listen to the, the only word I could think of for it was irony, but it's not irony. I want you to name this baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, when Joseph puts God first in his life, where he thought sin had taken place, was God's answer to send a redeemer for us to save us from our sins. Isn't that powerful? Can we give him a hand of praise and thanksgiving for that? Because every male instinct would have been put her away. And so I think to myself, if I want to attract the blessing of God, then I need to live with my ear open to heaven. I need to live with my ear open to my daily Bible reading and my daily Bible memorization. I need to live in a place of prayer because if we will listen, we will find that God is speaking all the time to us. And the second thing that I see here is that God is telling him, this baby that you don't think is yours, I want you to become the father to. Joseph, I want you to engage in his life. And beloved, here's what I want you to know. No, unlike so many men today, and men of God, hear me this morning, for we want to be promise keepers. Joseph became a fully engaged. Joseph not only became a passionate follower of the Lord, but Joseph became a passionate father. And he engaged in the life of Jesus, and he raised Jesus, and he loved Jesus, and he took care of Mary, and he took care of Jesus. He saw that Jesus was nurtured in the word of God, and he even sought to protect the baby Jesus because there would come a time when this egomaniacal king would rise up in order to try to rid the world of Jesus, inspired by hell itself, and the angel would appear to him a second time in a dream and say, take the child to Egypt. And because God had found a man who was personally righteous, that would take care of his family, that would commit himself to a good career, to a man that would, would save and earn his money, he had the resources to move his family all the way to Egypt, there to set up shop again and take care of the Lord and Mary until it was time to come back again. Friends, it matters that we keep our promises to God and to one another. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? So I ask you again, how did God choose this man? Was it some heavenly roulette wheel? Was it some bubblegum machine popping up, J-O-E? Or was it because of what Jesus taught us? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Joseph 
wanted a relationship with God. Where is Christ in your Christmas this year? I wrote some words to go in front of Philippians 4.8, and I'm going to read it, then I'd like you to read it with me this morning. Woodland Church is a community of Jesus followers committed to doing what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Would you read that with me? Woodland Church is a community of Jesus followers committed to doing what is true and honorable, right and pure, and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If Joseph had not been thinking about what it meant to be a man of God, to be the kind of husband that God called him to be, I don't know that Joseph's ear would have ever been opened to have heard the angel. Joseph, fear not to take Mary as your wife. If you want to encounter God, you've got to make a commitment to fill your mind with the things of God. Stand with me this morning. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. I don't know that perhaps that God is searching Woodland Church this morning, looking for a man that he can tap on the shoulder, looking for a man that he can lay his hand upon, to do something what normal men could never wrap their mind around. Perhaps, and this time I am speculating, but perhaps Joseph was the only man in all of Israel. Perhaps Joseph was the only man in all the tribes of Israel that could wrap his mind around this fact that what had never been done before, what had never been heard of before, that God could do. And unlike the editor of a small town newspaper, he didn't miss the biggest news of all eternity that Christ had came into the world to save his people from their sins. So maybe God's looking to tap you on the shoulder to do something in our lifetime, in our church, in our community, with your family that you can't hardly wrap your mind around unless you have an ear to God. You see, God is asking you to trust him this morning. And I tell you, it's a, it's a deep, deep thing Sometimes I have to dig deep into my heart to find grace, to forgive. Sometimes I have to do that spade work before the Lord. But then God always says to me when I dig deep, Dennis, you got to trust me. And you may have to dig deep this morning. It may be for forgiveness. How long are you going to hold something over somebody's head? How long are you going to remember against them? How long are you going to dread going to the Christmas party because that relative, we've all got that relative, don't we? 
that relative is going to be there, when are you going to forgive? And when are you going to let it go? How long are people going to have to work to prove to you they're right? One of my childhood heroes, star football player for the University of South Carolina, did so much good in my life in encouraging me. The end of his life became totally wrecked because he was betrayed. And I remember just before I left Macon to move here, Joe came to my office, an old man, and I said, Brother Joe, you're going to have to forgive them. You're going to have to do what you taught me to do as a child when I was bullied and picked upon. And I trusted you, Joe, because you were such a big football player that loved Jesus. You're going to have to forgive. And sitting across from my desk, I will never forget that giant of a man saying to me, I'll never be able to forgive. Joe couldn't wrap his mind around the grace that God could give him. God's asking you to trust him. And if you trust him, you will find the promises of Romans 8.28 to be true. God will cause everything to work for his glory and for your good. And maybe this morning, God's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, trust me with your life. Trust me to forgive your sins. Trust me to give you a brand new life. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? If that's you and suddenly you want Jesus to become the center of your Christmas and you want to be saved from your very own sins, you say, Pastor, what is sin? Sin is just missing what life is really all about. It's those personal wrongs and offenses. It's just the opposite of the life that Joseph was trying to live. Christ died to save us from our sins. And if you will honestly confess your sins to him and say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord, the master and the ruler of my life, he will forgive you and cleanse you by his blood this morning. So pray this prayer with me quietly if that's you. Just say, dear Christ, have mercy upon me. I confess to you that I am a sinner. I confess that I believe that you are a God of grace and a God of compassion and a God of forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again on the third day. And as much as I know how, I commit my life to you this morning. I want a fresh start and become a brand new man or woman in you today. While every head is bowed, no one at all is looking around but just myself. If you prayed that, would you lift up your hand and say, Pastor, remember me in prayer this week. God bless you. 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 Somebody else this morning, you say, Pastor, remember me. God bless you, sir. God bless you so much. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. Anyone else? Just hold your hand up and let God do that miraculous work of forgiving your sins. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you. Church, let's give the Lord a hand of praise and thank him for he will save his people from their sins. And now, Lord, I pray for those this morning that maybe you're tapping on the shoulder. Maybe in particular, there's some men today, maybe some young men and some older men. Lord, something's beginning to form in their heart right now. Or maybe, Lord, they're just simply saying, that's the kind of man I want to be. I don't want to be a self-righteous man. I want to be a righteous man. I want to be a promise keeper. If that's you, and I pray it's all of you men, but if that's you, would you just lift up your hand this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me this week. It's the kind of man I want to be all over this building. Ladies, I'm going to ask you to do something. Would you pray for the men of our church just as Mary had to depend upon Joseph and God's work in Joseph's life, would you begin to pray right now, not just for your husband or your son, but pray for the men of this church. Now, Father, I pray over these men today who have lifted their hands. They join with their pastor in saying, I want to be a righteous man. Lord, I ask you today, help me to remember my personal righteousness. It matters not only to you, but to my neighbors, to this community I live in, to these people that I pastor, and to Becky and my family. And I want to live in that place, Lord, where your blessings are detracted to my life. Open the windows of heaven upon not only my family, but this church and our community, my subdivision, Lord. I pray for the manifest glory of heaven to come down upon us, that this community will know you, Lord, and hear your voice. And finally, Lord, I declare my trust in you. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Jesus, I agree with that little boy. You're the best baby I ever seen. I said it. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise today. Hallelujah.